0: Do you think there is somewhat of a downside to that when when you're at a stage in poker like yourself or or me now i think that's the best strategy to to leave work at work but when you're coming out you need to be absolutely obsessed like if you're not obsessed 24 7 with poker don't do this for a living you i i don't think you're going to make it for me at least i, I think it needs to be that 100% focused to, to trying to be as good as you can be um, in poker in order for you to really succeed because there are so many other people that, are, that have that hunger.
1: Hi, it's Runchicks, and the following is my conversation with Rory Young. He's a poker pro originally from Australia, and I assume that most of you know about his famous 30 Days in the Dark Bathroom bet. He was the guy betting against it, so naturally we we'll talk about the bet and behind the scenes of it, but first we cover a lot of ground discussing life lessons we learned in our long poker careers, and I'm sure you might find some of our advice quite useful. Check out the timestamps in the description, and of course, please hit like, subscribe, and share the set- episode with a friend that really helps and now enjoy this conversation with rory young rory thank you for finding the time really i was really looking forward actually to this conversation we, we've been trying to have it for for a while and then you know schedules
0: didn't work out we're finally here and uh it's gonna be awesome yeah looking forward to it this is what the the fourth or the fifth reschedule but yeah yeah, we're
1: here. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and even today even though we we managed to stick to the day we still were pushing it, pushing forward it back, but yeah. 15 minutes like <laughs> twice you know so two too busy too busy men trying to have a conversation across the world because obviously completely different time zones and uh and whatnot but we're here and um so much to talk about with you and i I, I don't even know where to start um I feel like some people probably don't know much about you, so we should definitely cover some background of yours. Uh, one thing that I think most people know about you, even though they might know that it's about you, is, is the famous bet, uh, the 30 days in the bathroom in the dark. Uh, you were the one who was betting against it, so you weren't the guy in the bathroom. Um, yeah. And I think most people in the poker world have heard about that bet. So that's gonna be an interesting topic to discuss. So maybe let's um, just give us some uh, like quick background about who you are and then we slowly ease into the prop bet and we go so many other topics from there because I wanna discuss business with you, uh, transitioning from poker into other endeavors and, and so much more.
0: Yeah, sure. So. I mean, I have a pretty similar origin story in poker to most people, Uh, started playing with friends and then uh, was working as a bartender and going to university studying um, communications and started missing lectures to play poker and just slowly, well, actually pretty quickly transitioned to playing full-time. I guess a, a big... Step in that was seeing people at my local casino that were quite clearly doing that full-time for a living mm-hmm. and doing quite well. Uh, so once I saw that that was an option, I'm like, this is it. This is 100% what I want to do. Nothing else mattered to me at that point. Uh, and yeah, I just dove, dove head first. Went busto a few times, pretty aggressive with the bankroll management, ran it back up, and uh, yeah, here I am. Nice. So how how long was it ago when did you start playing poker? I uh I think I started when I was around I want to say 19 or 20. So I I'm, I'm 29 now, so that was yeah like 9 10 years ago. Uh and I kind of went back and forth with that for a bit and then I guess I started traveling and going to tournament series and stuff when I was probably 21 22 years old um yeah and then i from there i started playing more tournaments online uh and then mostly transitioned to live cash the past few years
1: Mm -hmm. right it's interesting that you you've mentioned that once you knew it's an option then your mind was set uh i'm just thinking about people who consider going into poker right now so much easier to make that decision because, well, it's easy to – there's lots of shows about about the business. There's lots of conversations, lots of podcasts with poker players such as yourself where you can just basically listen about the experience, find out about the experience, firsthand experience, and see, okay, this is something that I'd like to do. This is something that I don't like to do. Whereas when we were stepping in and even people before us, uh, you're basically stepping into the dark. You have no yeah. idea what you're going to be facing. You have no idea what this thing is going to be. There's all the social stigma attached to it. Banks uh, look at you, you know, not, not very not very yeah. happy. You know, once they try to scratch their head and figure out what, what the hell you're doing and can you actually have a bank account or not? You know, all the stupid things like this. Whereas now, the information is there. And um, obviously, that's why the games are also harder because... Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's so it doesn't take as much courage, courage uh, to, to jump into this business and uh, well also obviously a lot of um, study material available, etc. But um, so how were your early days? Did you 10 years ago basically you progress pretty quickly? when did you feel like okay this is this is not only a job I can do. I can actually excel at it and and reach top levels
0: yeah well i guess it started off pretty quick where i started going to like the the pub poker tournaments so in australia there's this culture of like uh you would go and play these poker tournaments at bars or clubs uh sorry, no, bars or like pubs. And you'd have like, you know, 50 year old men sitting there just like sinking 10 beers and everyone would be getting drunk and playing poker and the prize pools would be actually pretty decent. So there was like the scene of pub poker in Sydney. And once I started finding that, I would, you know, skip lectures to go and travel to the $35, 2 p.m. at like the Lawn Bowls Club where there was like eight people playing and stuff. So I was just playing constantly nonstop. Then I I met a group of friends uh, who were playing those same tournaments and started learning a lot from them, like mostly from a guy called Victor Tang. He was like the the kind of godfather of pub poker at that stage. So uh, he took me under his wing early, uh, taught me a lot of stuff early on, just basically like raw aggression and how that benefits in poker. So I learned a lot very quickly through that, then started going more to the casino and cash games Um, would swing up and down and then started learning from sort of other poker players. Uh, I I didn't really do any kind of study or reflection or anything like that formally until quite a few years later. So it was, I was kind of flying by the seat of my pants a bit where, yeah, it, it was a bit of a roller coaster. But touching on what you said earlier, like, I think it's a much more difficult decision to get into poker these days because the games are so much harder. Like I I've seen 50 cent, $1 games online, like being quite tough these days. And that's, that's pretty crazy when you get those stakes and it's actually difficult to win at. So I think back in the day, there was a lot more opportunity for those entry level. Like I still think mid stakes, high stakes are still pretty soft these days, at least live, but, those entry level stakes where you have to build up your bankroll and learn about the game and just get a bunch of hands in. It's a lot tougher to do that now, whether it's like higher rake or, you know, tougher competition. Um, so I think that's a pretty big barrier to entry, but at the same time, if you work hard, there's so much study material and so many like great lessons on some of these podcasts that you can learn a lot for free, um, or like a, a pretty small fee for like a membership fee.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the interesting part about it is um, for everyone in the beginning, variance plays a huge role, right? When you're in that stage of building up your bankroll, building up your confidence, building building up your love for the game, variance is a huge thing. And once the stakes are uh, harder, more difficult at uh, at the entry level, basically your entry win rate, even if you're naturally gifted Uh, poker wise player your win rate is going to be lower the lower your win rate the the more effect the variance has on on your results um yeah especially on the negative side so it becomes maybe a bit harder to break through for sure and well that being said obviously there's more information about dealing with downswings and what to expect but um i still think you can listen about bad downswings like you can listen to like 10 podcast episodes and think like okay i got it once it you nothing. actually go through it you're like it's oh man it. oh man i didn't realize oh that's what they meant okay and i've heard it so many times like people actually saying like oh wow now that i experienced this and i and i see what i'm going through emotionally right now now i know what these guys were talking about
0: Yeah. I mean, just don't play tournaments. Like when people talk about these down, these huge downswings and stuff, they're all tournament players. Like you don't hear of a very, very good cash game player going on like a very sizable downswing. At least, at least I, I haven't experienced that. Um, like among my friends, like I'm talking like a a year long year to two year, like really rough patch. Um, and I think if that's happening, if, if you're playing cash games, then you're either not as good as you think, or you're playing in just two tough games. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm used to playing in games that where the pros have a very high win rate. So I'm not talking like, you know, grinding 500 zoom for like a three BB win rate, which is actually a pretty good win rate, I think at, at mm-hmm. 500 zoom. I mean, that, that sounds like a bit of a nightmare to me, just like battling out for these small edges. Um, so I think, I think for tournaments, you don't understand it until you're in the thick of it. Like I, my, my mind is going back to when I was being staked for tournaments. I didn't have any like liquid money myself, like maybe, I don't know, five, 10 K in the bank. I was in like a hundred K makeup. And, uh, it's rough. It's, it's cause you start doubting yourself. And then when you get deep, you're like, you have two minds. You're like, okay, I know I have to be aggressive and be clutch to win this, but then the jumps mean so much to you that mm-hmm. it's hard to block that out. And like, there are, there are two or three people I know that I know block that out and like, don't have to block it out because I don't know, they have, uh, they have a pretty good emotional disconnect. But for, for most of us, that's that's close to impossible to achieve. Yeah. So yeah, it's easy to talk about, yeah, you need to do this, this, and this while you're on a downswing. But when you're in the thick of it, it's tough, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and this
1: emotional disconnect is, is a key thing, I, I, I think. Because once you're really at that level where you can separate uh, the work and the process of grinding from everything else that happens in your life, Managing this whole this whole thing becomes much easier, because you yeah. basically step away. You have a life, and uh, to 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 reach that point is um, is quite liberating. Because you know, to me, that was a turning point, and I've I've told that story many times uh, uh, on on the podcast before as well. And just basically, the gist of it is that. You know, I sort of had the wake up call when i when I realized that after a session, I had a dinner with my friends, really nice restaurant, really cool people, supposedly interesting conversation, and I wasn't there like I was there physically, yeah. but I just wasn't there and I was just thinking about whatever happened and I realized it's always like this. it's not one off. I'm just you know, I'm just preoccupied with whatever happened, and then I kind of made the conscious decision of, okay, well, we leave the work at work and Let's try to separate the two, which is actually not that difficult it's It's a cons conscious decision, much like you know leaving your phone out, let's say not to, taking your phone for dinner. It just well, if you then don't take the phone, even if you have the temptation, you're not gonna look at your yeah. whatever uh, profile or or something right so
0: I do think there is somewhat of a downside to that. so if you're if you're coming up you you have to take it to dinner you have oh, to take yeah. it everywhere you go like for for me when when you're at a stage in poker like yourself or or me now I think that's the best strategy to to leave work at work um but when you're coming out you need to be absolutely obsessed like if you're not obsessed twenty four seven with poker don't do this for a living you i I don't think you're gonna make it um so yeah, it, it kind of, for me at least, I, I think it needs to be that 100% focus to, to trying to be as good as you can be um, in poker in order for you to really succeed because there are so many other people that are that have that hunger. Um, yeah,
1: Absolutely. I think it's a great advice actually because uh, most of the people I know who reached a decent level, um, long-term in poker, they were all obsessed. I was absolutely obsessed when I went into it. You were yeah. obsessed with it. it. it's literally was all-consuming. But at some point, it becomes unhealthy. right? So, For sure. Yeah, once you're yeah. at that level when you can make a better decision, better choice. And you know what? It's almost like a filtering mechanism because if you have that level of obsession with the game, first of all, you'll find a way to succeed. Uh, you'll find a way to, yeah. to improve. Um, and at the same time it makes the whole thing more bearable in a way because you're just in yeah. it like completely you're you're in it all of you is in that is is in that journey of okay i need to become i need to figure this out and uh, that means probably you're 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 dealing with the swings etc on slightly healthier although i don't know i looking back i think my early days like i would have sleepless nights after huge winning sessions or huge losing oh, yeah. sessions and back then the huge winning session might be like 2000 or something right i mean it was yeah. just like in my first half a year of, of poker and that would be like oh my god it's a 2000 <laughs> session just wow <laughs> right it's like yeah ridiculous when you think about it now when you know the the value of money changed so much but uh it wasn't even about the numbers. It's like whatever big blinds you're playing and you're like, Oh my God, this is so many, so much in terms of big lines. And then you can't sleep. It's ridiculous.
0: I mean, that's the downside when, when you're all in, not on the poker table, when you're all in on poker and it's your 100% focus, that's all that matters to you. And, uh, and obviously like there's this family and, and if you have a girlfriend, that kind of stuff, but like when you're on that come up, like that's, I feel like the 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 best players in the world are the ones that that, that was their their primary focus. Mm-hmm. Um but it it's definitely unhealthy. Like I would never recommend becoming a professional poker player to anybody in the world. It's you have to sacrifice a lot. Uh yeah. you have to sacrifice I was I was very social like in sort of like high school, you know, when I was 18, 19, 20, that kind of um period of my life. And I mean, as soon as I found poker, that nearly completely dropped off. Um, And then, like, granted, like, when I was kind of coming up in poker, then I would meet poker friends who I became close with. And, you know, we would still go out drinking afterwards and that kind of thing. But it it did shift and because we were just always talking about poker. And, you know, it was just all revolved around this. So it's like when you're so heavily invested, like, how can you separate the swings from uh, your mental state when you're that all in, you, you can't because it's, it's all that you care about, but mm. for long-term strategy, terrible, terrible for your, for your mental health and everything. But I still see guys these days, like guys who have made a lot of money from poker and like, you see them playing these like live $1,000 tournaments. And like, I know they have millions in the bank, but they're still out there, you know, regging the 1k 100k guaranteed or whatever on, uh, at the win or something. And I guess that's, that's like the next level of obsession because I don't have that in me. Um, So yeah, there's people who truly, truly love the game where it doesn't matter what stakes they're playing. They, they just want to keep learning and keep getting put in spots to try and figure it out. And that's where they would derive that value from solving those problems regardless of the money involved
1: yeah yeah let's dig into it actually because it is a thing that was boggling my mind as well the same this exactly the same thing that you just described and you know people who clearly are not doing it for the money anymore but still are doing it and sometimes i just wonder maybe they don't know better Maybe they are so yeah. sacrificed so much that this, by this point, because th- the thing that you described, you know, being a social guy and then poker shifted that big time. Eventually, you get your poker friends, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, you were cut off from the normal society for a while. All your friends that were still, of, you know, the high school yeah. friends, etc. cetera, that you might still be friends. And, you know, I still have great relationship with all my buddies from back in the day. But at some point, and obviously I moved away to another country, you know, so that obviously puts, puts a bit of a distance yeah. between you and your friends. But, uh, even before I moved, it was already evident that, you know, everybody has a nine to five and a weekend off and you have pretty much exactly the opposite. And even when you're off, you're still obsessed. So it's not, it's not a great thing. And, uh. So I don't know. Maybe the people who are still grinding and uh, registry, you know, playing those small buying tournaments, they just don't know any better. Like, because like, you're at some point, like, what else am I going to do? That's all I. That's all I know. That's all I can do. That's the only thing I'm good at. Uh,
0: so I'm just yeah. going to do that. Yeah, I think I, I'm thinking of a, a friend of mine who kind of reached, you know, some like as high as you can kind of go in poker. And he recently made a very conscious effort to be like, okay, I'm going to step away from a bit, not retire or anything, like he still plays and Mm -hmm. stuff, but it's more like looking at, in, looking at it, at his life in a segmented, like scientific way, like, okay, I want to get better at this. I want to get better at this. Mm -hmm. What are the steps I need to take to get better at this, this, and this. So, removing himself from that comfort zone of like, you know, logging on to the online tournaments, being the big dog, like that's what, you know, having that feeling of comfortability and I guess confidence, and then deliberately putting himself in situations where he's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, that's, to me, that was really admirable. Like that's a tough thing to do. It sounds easy in, in, uh, in theory, but that's tough, especially in like, if, if you're not, um, really strong socially putting yourself in those situations is like is very uncomfortable and just diving head first and uh, I mean seeing his progress over the past I don't know six months to a year or something has been pretty crazy It's it's been awesome to see so I think I think there are a lot of those overachieving poker players who stay in that stay in that poker lane um, because that's where they feel comfortable that they've yeah. reached the top there that's they're respected, you know, they they don't need to feel those kind of negative emotions of like, hmm, okay, I'm not good enough, or like, I don't know this, or um, does this person like me or that kind of thing? So yeah, I think I think take you need to take that more scientific approach to it. You can't just say like, oh, I need more balance in my life. I mean, at least, at least I can't do that. I need, I need more of like a structured. Um, routine to mm-hmm. to achieve those more like macro goals.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting what you said, and uh, I completely agree that as funny as it sounds, poker is comfortable once you're at the high level. It doesn't matter how high the stakes are, well, either it's the cash games or the tournament. It doesn't matter how much is at stake, you're still very comfortable there, even if you're all in for. A huge amount of money because that's just what you do that that's who you are and you're you've been in that situation over and over again and you know the process you know exactly what to do you don't have a boss breathing down your neck you don't have a customer to deliver to um, none of that things you're self-sufficient yeah. basically just doing your thing and yeah a lot of people just get um, stuck in that phase because it's very uncomfortable to First of all, say to yourself, okay, I'm just going to step away, do something else. Because it's stepping, again, stepping into the unknown, walking away from something. Like to myself, that's that's the hardest part of, of walking away from something you're very good at. And yeah. still feeling like, well, yeah, I could keep doing this forever. Maybe, you know, if like health permits, I should just keep going. And unless there's going to be some crazy things with regulations and such let's do it but at the same time you have to think like okay to do something else that's so uncomfortable because like am I gonna fail there am I like how am I gonna do it so it's not only about it's hard to walk away from the top somewhere but it's also just in general hard to walk into something completely new Yeah. And if we think about it, like some of the really successful high-stakes poker players, I mean, they could theoretically, and everybody's saying, oh, you could do so many other things in life. Like, you can do this, you could do that, so many other businesses you could pursue with your skills, with your experience. Kind of yes and no, because poker (laughs) is a unique animal here because, like, once again, no customers, no, you know, no boss, no nothing. It's just Try find it somewhere else where you can basically think, just t- to do your thing, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think a lot of poker players would be terrible in business. Um, there's, in general, if you look at like the traits of of poker players, they don't like being told what to do. They don't like meeting deadlines. They're always late to stuff. They're pretty disorganized. And like, I'm not talking about you know, the the guys kind of at the top who have their routine, like everything's scheduled and that kind of stuff. But like in general, I, yeah, I just don't think, I think the problem solving stuff and the more, uh, I guess macro elements to, to running a business poker players would be good at, but in terms of all like the organizational stuff, like, I don't know, maybe the sit and go players would be, would be good at that stuff. <laughs>
1: okay, it's tough. It it's like a
0: whole new set of, uh, set of skills to learn and and you're kind of just learning on the fly and then yeah it's 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 a tough thing to do and you always have that in the back of your mind like okay because i mean i guess i have the thing in the back of my mind because i know my hourly and poker pretty much to a t because i'm playing the same kind of online games all the time and i'm like if i'm doing some task and in the back of my mind, I'm like, I could be making this much per hour, you know, doing this. And now I'm doing something that I don't really want to be doing, but I know it's, mm-hmm. I know I need to do this in order to achieve this bigger goal. So you always have that in the back of your mind, Well, at least I do. So yeah, it's a yeah. constant struggle. Yeah. We're spoiled in that way. Cause
1: you know, spoiled and have the I've bitten from a fruit of knowledge, so to say, of, of realizing that, you know, your time is, is valuable and you can put a number to your time, in fact. And and that's not something that a lot of people are used to, regardless of their profession. Yeah,
0: yeah well, that's that's something that I learned early on. I I forget who's who said it, but I, I learned from someone that um, if there's something that you don't want to do, uh, figure out your hourly and would you... Do that for uh would you do that task sorry can you pay someone else less than your hourly to do mm-hmm. that task yeah that, and that i kind of uh went by that framework for i don't know quite a while now the past five years or so mm-hmm. um it's i mean it's obviously been a bit more expensive but it, it makes my life a lot more streamlined and a lot um i have to put less effort into things i don't want to be doing but i mean it, even even this way of thinking, I think is flawed. Like we're thinking in the framework of how do I make the most money possible? And anyone who starts to make like good money realizes that that's a terrible way to make decisions. Um, once you get to a certain point, it's, Mm -hmm. you, you get to this level and I'm sure you've experienced this too, where it's like, and I'm not talking like $50 million or whatever. I'm talking like enough money to, um, Live your life and pretty much do whatever you want, um, and that can be different for a lot of different people. But you get to a point where you're like, okay, is getting this extra money making me happy? And I, I haven't run into any person that's ever said yes, like perpetually yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think that's like a, a truth, and I also think that it has to be learned. Like you can't you can't tell that to someone who's like you know grinding live live one two um and say listen it's not all it's cracked up to be because they'll just be like fuck off like you're you're wealthy you don't you don't know what you're talking about like so you need to go through that um to really understand Mm -hmm.
1: yeah but also maybe just maybe because i'm not sure about it it also comes with age so it's not only the wealth but the age and not age physiologically, but probably like where you are in your life, because, you know, at some point you, you might have a family, you might have kids, and all of a sudden you realize, you know what, even if I make X amount per hour, I'd rather pay somebody just to leave me alone. And I can spend that one hour just, you know, with my kid or with my wife or or something like that. Right. Whereas You know for for a young guy no commitments no no family um to take care of those decisions are just much easier and you don't have to make those decisions first of all and so maybe that cutoff point where the money is not as relevant anymore is is much higher because sort of again like what else are you going to do making money is fun if you don't have uh, any other better things to do yeah that's for sure um yeah. So, well, speaking of business, because we sort of went into into this direction. Um, when did you start going into business? And we can talk a bit about uh, what you're doing, if if you want, or just let's talk in general terms. Uh, you know, first of all, yeah. When when did you get into business? So sort of shift from poker full time to more entrepreneurship
0: Um, full-time i I would say probably like midway through the pandemic i don't know when that was but it's just roughly like midway um but it's been a project that i've been working on for a couple of years uh it's called odin poker basically it's about giving access to like a large database of sims because it's always something that's bugged me a bit right so you have guys like Icaxton, all of these guys with huge databases, and they can just constantly study these, check how they played this spot, how they played this spot, um, and these cost a lot of money to to build uh, at scale. So, not only that, the, the the user interface is quite difficult to understand. Uh, there's a lot of poker players who think I want to study, but I don't know how, or I want to study, but I don't have the resources to to be able to. So it's mostly just about solving that problem and providing users with access to like a large high quality database. Um, that's it in a nutshell. Uh, we started the project about two years ago, um, and really started ramping it up in the past six to eight months and started going full-time with it. Um, it's been exciting at times, but like, as I said before, it's like making that transition from from poker to to these tasks, and it can feel very menial sometimes. Like mm-hmm. the you, because when you're playing poker, you're like, okay, I'm all in here, I'm all in here, I'm all in here. You're just constantly getting that dopamine hit, mm-hmm. um, that the, the hit, and then the crash as well. So you go from being uh, having very high excitement every day to a lot more kind of mundane and planned meetings and and all of this stuff, and it's just it's just different. It's not better or worse for me. It's just a different different lifestyle and a different kind of set of skills to to work on as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is. Like, I don't know how to phrase it and how to basically express the thought that I have but um, what you're describing, um, which is basically, you know, you're doing things that are natural to whoever works in a business um, of the similar sort. Let's say you're in a basically managerial position, right? Because you're you're managing the business in one uh, form or another. And at the same time, you really feel the value of money because that's ingrained in you. So a lot of those meetings, at least for me, it's just I'm boiling inside of like, this is just such a fucking waste of money. This could have been and one email instead of a one hour call, right? And it's just, and at the same time, you know, okay, yeah, if you look at it purely from results, absolutely true. But it's not only about the results because these people, the, the whole team depend on each other. You need to be, there you need you can't just be everybody's alone warrior and let's just meet up uh, next year right you have to so you're sort of doing the the socializing bit and stuff which is really not productive but at the same time like okay we're not all robots right so to i don't know i sometimes have this internal battle with myself of like okay let's (laughs) let's just sit through the meeting let's just be be fine with it and things are getting done
0: slowly but getting done To be honest, I don't really experience that at all. I think, I think if you, if you can make it just a a text or if you can make it just an email, then do it. Like, and I think other people value that too. I haven't, I haven't really run into that where someone said, oh, like, do you want to have a call here? And then I've been like, no, like, let's just Discuss it over Messenger or whatever. Right. I've never gotten real pushback there because, like, no one really wants to have those long-winded meetings and stuff. Mm. Um, so I think maybe maybe people enjoy when someone you know takes the initiative and they're like, let's you know do this, this, and this. Yeah. Um, and that, that's what I try and that's what I try and do with my team. With my team, try and like, I guess limit the amount of time that we waste on on things that aren't contributing to, to our overall goals. But again, that's people, people in business aren't used to that. Like I, all of my partners are people in poker essentially. Mm-hmm. So we're used to this, you know, very informal, uh, pragmatic way of communication, whereas people in business, it's, it's not like that. So, yeah, yeah, I guess I've been lucky.
1: Yeah. Well, wait till you have to
0: deal with customers. <laughs> then, then you <laughs> then you see that's that's the way. up call. Well, our plan <laughs> is to just pushing back, push back the launch until yeah. you know we we just don't have any customers. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, exactly. That's that's one strategy. Not not the best, but yeah, something that once again is more comfortable to just push it back as long as possible uh, instead of um, you know putting the baby out there and then seeing. Seeing what what's happening. But that's you know the, the one thing when you're into business and when you're doing things, you realize, wow, the freedom that poker gave us it's, it's such an insane thing. And at the same time, you realize, wow, didn't I just waste it? Because like I could have done so much more, as in extracurricular like let's say i could have you know you always have these thoughts like oh wouldn't that be great to learn and you're always like yeah yeah i'll do it later i do it later But well, guess what later you don't have any time anymore because once you have the family once you have some other commitments business etc cetera, etc cetera, you're like every every minute is precious every weekend that you can scrape uh is precious whereas you know before it was it was much different but um I guess at least I don't know how it's for you, but I I, I realize now that I didn't value
0: that freedom as much uh, when I had it. All right. I think what 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 are some of the things that you you would have learned if you could go back to when you were twenty three? Um, what what would you have learned in your spare time?
1: Well, to be honest, I, I didn't even I didn't even play poker when I was twenty three. I think I okay. I got into the whole scene when I was um i don't know 25 ish maybe well actually maybe like yeah maybe 23 i don't know well definitely not Pretty professional light. poker right so that that's like anyway because of like what am i now 37 so it's, it's a while ago but um it's not per something that i would have learned but it's more about um just appreciating them, like taking the most out of that freedom, you know, seeing more of the world, uh, doing the things which require more stepping out of the comfort zone, right? Like mm-hmm. making that trip. And I mean, I've I've made a lot of trips, I've traveled to many places. So I'm not saying that, you know, I actually sat on the couch, didn't do any of those things. I just wish that I not only did more because Maybe I don't even I don't think I should have done more, but it's more I'm saying that I should have appreciated it more. I took everything for granted. um, Okay. and it was like I don't know. I mean it's just probably just getting old, (laughs) you know, reminiscing (laughs) of like, oh, I wish I appreciated the life of what it was when I was younger when I could stand up without, you know, (laughs) making a noise and such things. But yeah. um, in all seriousness, though, I don't know. I just feel like we're so blessed to go through the poker career and uh, just have this freedom and and complete control over where we're heading.
0: I-, I see it. I see it both being blessed, but also like being somewhat deserved because you you have to cast your mind back to those times when you had like five K to your name and then you lost like 2,500, you know, you lost, uh, five buy-ins, you know, and then you had your friends and your family tell you, look, you've only got six months left on your, um, undergraduate degree. Just finish that. And then maybe you can come back to poker and just have that in your back pocket just in case Mm -hmm. and making the decision, no, I'm going to do this. This is what I want to do. Um, I think, I mean, I think a lot of people quit before, I, I think if if I think most people would quit before uh what am I trying to say? I, I think most people would quit much much longer before the successful poker players did. Mm-hmm. Um and, and that drive to really stay on mission, um I, I I think is a is a pretty big test. Like we're obviously incredibly lucky in in so many ways to, you know be born where we were or to have like families that taught us uh how to live right and uh i mean blessed with a a reasonable intelligence to to allow us to be better at like a card game than the other person so like there's obviously those starting those starting advantages but but i do think it's a lot of it comes down to your your will to and you and how much effort you put in to, Mm -hmm. to succeed. And that succeed doesn't mean like, you know, make $10 million or whatever. It, it, it just means get what you want out of the game. Um, yeah, but I I think it's your, your twenties really fly past. Um, especially when you're in that like high paced environment where it's highly competitive with kind of other young guys in the space and like, yeah, it it can go by very quickly, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, I have a lot of appreciation for for the game and, and what it gives you. Yeah,
1: and you know what this thing that you mentioned, the the fact that you know the players who made it eventually had to persevere and really stick with it and not give up. It's admirable. And it's also, I mean, I think we sort of trained ourselves to do it. I don't believe that it's specifically like a natural gift that we were all born with. And, you know, I think people can get to this stage. But what I see in myself, I don't know how is it for you, but in myself, I see that in other areas of my life in in business and, and otherwise, I have the same quality, which is sometimes detrimental. The quality of like, I'm going to figure this out. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to figure this out. So I, I tend to stick with useless things for too long, so to yeah. say. right? And that's that's not great in, in some situations. I mean, in some situations, it's obviously the way to go. And you have to sometimes punch through the wall and uh, get through some shit. But um, in some situations, you'd be way better off just walking away just real quick and uh, see. Yeah.
0: I and mean, that comes down to like your personality type, though. It's like there are there aren't really good personality traits or bad personality traits. There's benefits to to both. So if you're more more of a passive person, there's there's upside to that, but there's also a lot of downside. So yeah, i I can see how that perseverance, that dogged perseverance can be can be very detrimental at times. And I guess, one way you could try and solve that is to have people around you that are really straight with you that Mm -hmm. are like, no, this is a stupid idea. And that's, that's something that I've been very, very lucky to have a couple of really close friends around me that just tell me how it is a hundred percent of the time. There's never like any pussyfooting around what, uh, what they think it's always like, this is a terrible move if you do this, it's not going to work out for you. And then like, over time, you just learn, okay, this person's usually right in this spot. I'm probably making a mistake here. So I'm going to dial it back 50% or something. You don't need to always listen to them, but you know, keeping those, those external measures in places has, has helped me in those situations.
1: Mm. Yeah. And you see like having the right people around you is such a big yeah. thing. And even in poker, when we were, um, you know, in in the first early stages, and to be honest, at any stage in in poker, just your team, the people that you you're working with or sharing your ideas with, or just the people who are in your circle, who you can learn
0: from just by observing them, so important. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not everything, but it's it has to be the most important important factor I imagine um when when you're coming up because having someone who's been in the game like three four years longer than you have and so basically I what I try and do or what I was trying to do uh when I was coming up I would look around and see who is where I want to be in say three years four years five years kind of thing and try and learn from them about how to get there like try not to make the same mistakes they did and um, it's so much easier for like another human being to pass down not only that knowledge but also specific strategy knowledge and stuff it's it's way more easier for them to pass that down than for you to learn that independently Mm -hmm. Um, so like you can you can stare at solver solutions all you want but if you have like a, a top pro explain to you the, I guess like the strategy of like c-betting your entire range on the flop and then going to a more polarized turn betting strategy. Like that would take a lot, a, quite a while to understand um, from just using solvers, c- coming from like a beginner's sort of level um, of knowledge. But if you have like a top pro really break that down, it, it'll click instantly because yeah. it's it's so simple in hindsight. But when you don't understand, you—it's difficult to to learn that yourself. So so you can. There's just all these shortcuts like that 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 allow you to progress a lot faster than you normally would.
1: Yeah, and especially the knowledge accumulates. You you get a nugget from one person, a nugget from another person. You you, you put things together, they click together. You get a bigger picture much quicker. And plus, hopefully, if you have somebody especially if you have a coach and you're getting an advice from a coach, hopefully they're also making a point of explaining why, not just, okay, this is what we do 100%, and then on the turn we're polarizing, but explaining the why and hopefully explaining how it translates to other situations. So what's the first principle here? How exactly. can you use it in, uh, in other situations when you're trying to, to figure things out from scratch if you don't have some experience to fall back on uh, in some solver work that you did?
0: Well, if they're not explaining why, then they're not a coach. Mm, they're just yeah, absolutely relaying like static information to you. So, um, yeah, th- I mean that's that's a part of poker that I really don't don't like. There's just so many like, for lack of a better word, like shit regs charging two hundred bucks an hour for coaching, and their their advice is just essentially worthless. You know. Yeah. Um, and that's not, that's not everyone that like, there's some fantastic coaches in the poker space and everything like that. But I think it, I think that space really attracts people who have not done so well in poker and are looking at ways to, uh, make money. And that seems to be the the one that comes to mind for them Yeah. So I would, if, if, if you're someone out there that's looking for, uh, a poker coach, just look at their results, like, and, and I'm not talking like, look at their Hender mob, like, look at, look at what the community thinks of them as a coach. Look at, uh, ask to see their, if they're a cash game player, ask to see their lifetime, like poker tracker results and stuff. Like you, you really don't want to start learning a lot from a person who is not even good at the game themselves. Cause it's just going to mm-hmm. set you back maybe even further. Um, and even if you're paying four times as much, it's going to be worth it for, for a good coach as opposed to, like, a a, a poor coach.
1: Yeah, absolutely, because eventually the the coaching is an investment. So when you're buying it, it's an investment, not, not an expense. And If it isn't a pure expense, then you probably shouldn't, like, it's not worth anything.
0: Yeah. Well, it, it could be worth something. So, like, maybe in the situation where there's, like, a VIP and he wants to say – talk to Fedor for two hours, you mm-hmm. know, he can pay that. And then he gets value out of just talking to him and, and, you know, understanding some things. And, but, right. but I, I, yeah, I totally agree. It's, it's an yeah. investment, not an expense. Right. Um, but and you know,
1: I, to talk to Fedor, that's, that's really not the kind of coaching I was thinking about. But <laughs> uh, I think a lot of people would just want to pay to Fedor to talk to him because he's <laughs> such an interesting guy and definitely interesting to talk to him. But. You know, it's definitely a different thing. A VIP, like I can imagine this dinner date kind of thing. You know, somebody's <laughs> buying, uh, buying Fed an hour with Fedor on the auction, auction, and people just betting, betting a ton of uh, money. And
0: uh, we've just NFTs given, uh, uh, we've just given someone, someone their next business idea. Yeah,
1: ah, <laughs> 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 uh, that would be great thing. We should do it for charity. Just uh, Fedor doesn't know yet, but we're basically selling an hour with him <laughs> should better talk, talk to him yeah, so in,
0: in the comment section yeah get <laughs> yeah. the
1: bids going I think I think it's a good idea we, we're onto something we could actually make a thing out of it
0: <laughs> well I, th- there are guys that that have done this in the past I saw um what well, who was it it was Garrett Garrett uh, Adelstein in mm-hmm. in LA he sold like a I don't know I think it was a couple of hours of coaching and then the, the money would go. He did it in, in an auction and then the money would go to a uh, a charity. I think it was for COVID relief or something. So the, right. these things are out there, but there's I don't think there's any like centralized um, kind of site that would list them. I think that would be pretty cool because yeah. there's a lot of people um, in poker that aren't really accessible. Like, you know, the true tellers, you know, these mm-hmm. kind of people who are not off the grid, but, you know, they're, they're not very present in like the... The online space so I think that would be a pretty cool idea
1: yeah yeah <laughs> so let's just wrap it up here and, uh, and start doing the business plan <laughs> uh, man that, that would be funny but yeah I, I, uh, I can see how it could work because um, eventually you know the experience of um, not only the coaching experience but the things that you learn from the people around you in the poker field Can really put you in a new trajectory, and it definitely happened to me when I when I met uh, people who are now close friends of mine uh, when I met them on my first trip uh, to Vegas, and just seeing the way they approach uh, combining poker and life, and you know, just poker as a career, and how they view some things differently uh, from a professional perspective. Just really opened my eyes. what what, what are some
0: of the things that stand out the most? Like say top three.
1: Well, the amount of time they would, um, plan their, so basically the way they plan their trips, the way they, uh, made sure that they have other things on the trip so that, you know, things are taken care of, like, how, where, where are we going to eat? What are we going to do? How do we balance the the rest time and, um, and the work time? And also just, I remember the first time I saw it kind of blew my mind and now it seems trivial, you know, it, it was, uh. Friend of mine, uh, I think he needed like headphones or something, and I uh, and he didn't want to go to the shop. And I was, I needed something from a shop, so I, I just drove there. And he said, "Well, can you just grab me headphones? I'm like, what headphones do you want? I don't care, just anything." Uh, so I bought him headphones. I texted him, "Do you want these? They they cost like a hundred bucks." He's like, "Yeah, I don't care if they're good, take them." So I took them. And there was something wrong with them. I don't know. They didn't fit his phone or something. Some shit like that. And so I told him, well, here's the check. You can just go return. And he's like, are you crazy? I'm not, I'm not yeah. never doing that. Like what? hundred buck, you know, headphones. It's like, yeah. Do you want me to drive there for half an hour and drive back? Because I need to change the fucking headphones for a hundred bucks. And it was like, it blew my mind. Because I realized, okay, yeah, I've I've heard the money. The, the value of of, uh, of time before. And I sort of thought that I understand the concept and I, you know, use it in my own life. But I realized I'm nowhere near to this extent because I'd be like, to me, it was a no-brainer. Of course, I go return the fucking... I might stand in line for like half an hour to return these uh, headphones, you know. Obviously, it makes no
0: sense. I think, I think a lot of it comes down to how you were brought up. Uh, because this is this is something that has always been natural to me, but I I grew up pretty lucky. Uh, my, my parents both had good jobs, had their own businesses, that kind of thing. Um, so I, I I never went hungry or or, or that kind of thing, but I have friends who, who grew up quite poor and they find it difficult to grasp that concept. Um, so I think if it's really built into you psychologically, it's difficult to to make that jump. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and you know, it's even funny how theoretically hearing about it, you might say, oh, yeah, it makes sense and I'm going to implement it in my life. But there are some blind spots. Like to me, that returning shit that I bought and doesn't work for me is trivial and it would be a complete blind spot. Like somehow it was exempt from evaluating is it worth my time? Everything oh, else... Yeah. Was being evaluated, but there are some things that you are like. Well, obviously, if you bought something you don't like it, you go and return it, right? So that and that's just a trivial example of of things that you might have a blind spot. And in poker, in terms of strategy, or in terms of planning your career, or planning your days, or planning so many things, you definitely have some blind spots, and just learning from people who are successful in their own careers is just so valuable and that's not something you can watch in a video and, and just internalize
0: how, how how do you think are the are the best ways to identify those blind spots whether it's in poker whether it's in whatever
1: good question um...
0: Because if you can solve that problem and identify all of those earlier, like think think, like the last five years, I'm sure there have been like a lot of epiphanies. If you could have learned all of those, say, two years earlier, it would be huge. Because I think those are what are the, I guess, cornerstones of our development as people. Those big aha moments where it's like, okay, now my perspective has completely shifted. Yeah, but
1: at the same time I don't know. It would be I, I would be curious to know it, like what is the best way to figure out your blind spots. But at the same time figuring out all of your blind spots isn't it futile? Isn't it wasting
0: the time in a way? Well, I mean, I guess that's what that's kind of what life is. You're just yeah. moving through and you're learning and seeing, "Oh shit, I was wrong here." I'll improve this. At least that's kind of how I, I look at life these days. I mean, one, one way that, that has been very helpful for me is, is working with Elliot, Elliot Rowe over the mm-hmm. past few years. He's really opened my eyes to a lot of blind spots where I'm just like, this is how I think about this. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is the right way to think about this, but it's like, not at all. It's that's not the best way to think about it whatsoever. Do you have um, an example in mind that you can share? Uh, let me think So I guess uh, one of the major reoccurring things for me in in poker, where some of like my anxieties would would come from, is like the fear of failure slash like the fear of not being good enough like comparing myself to others, you know? So when you, so when I, when he helped me identify that I would then get the feeling uh, as it would normally occur. And then I would be able to kind of step out of my body a little bit and then observe that feeling being like, oh, okay, this is because this is because of this emotion. And then when you can look at the emotion externally, it's like, you don't feed into it. Your, your mind just doesn't keep racing. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that, that was a pretty big one for me, uh, where, you know, I guess a specific example would be like a few years ago, I would be in a spot on the river and just have no idea what to do. Uh, and then I would start getting flustered because I didn't know what to do. And then that all kind of stems from like not being good enough, not not being better than my competition, that kind of thing. And then looking at that and then figuring out, okay, how do I get more comfortable in this river spot? And then in that spot, it was just about really honing in and counting each single combo and just making the mathematical decision. And when you get to that spot in future, it's like, okay, he has these combos of value, these combos of bluff, this is the size, and then this is the correct answer given what uh what I deem his combos to be. So that gave me a lot of confidence in in knowing that regardless of the result, like my my decision was good. Whereas before I was kind of floating through this sea of like not using the right processes and then just being underconfident because I didn't really know what I was doing. Right. Yeah processes
1: definitely give you confidence in the process ironically right it's, it sounds stupid but at least you have something to be confident about because if you have a process process can be fine tuned process can be measured you can actually see whether there's a flaw with your process whether whether uh, you know on on the other hand if you don't have any process and you're just you know m- making it up on the fly every time how do you see whether you deviate from What's good or not? How how do you know whether you're on your A game or C game or whatever it happens to be in the moment? It's a process. When making the decision is definitely so important. And I also like your first example that you've mentioned, even though that also has to do with the process of you know identifying a specific, a specific feeling and then dealing with it in a specific way. But um, what I like about the example is um, what you described like getting that feeling, mostly we would just look at these things. Well, there's nothing I can do. It's just how I am. Like I'm anxious yeah. in specific situations. That, that's it. And to have somebody tell you it doesn't have to be that way. is like, what? What do you mean it doesn't? Have, it's always been like this. Yeah. It's always going to be like this. And to, to have that eye-opening experience of like, oh, I can actually do something about it. That, that is a beautiful thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, there was a there was a pretty long period in my life where I, I guess I identified as an anxious person, and and then that is like self fulfilling. But once you, yeah, but once you have someone explain to you that that doesn't have to be the case, and you can do things to shift that, it's it's very empowering. Yeah.
1: Yeah, very interesting. But coming back to what you. Uh, we're asking earlier about, um, which is a really good question, and I, I would, I wish I, uh, I'm definitely going <laughs> to look into it more, like how to identify our blind spots uh, in a pragmatic way when you're actually going yeah. for it. And I still think that maybe just devoting yourself to it, of identifying all the blind spots now, is just a bit too much. It's like you know, a equivalent thing would be. Like, okay, let's study flops, a theory on the flop. Like we're, we're studying, a, I don't know, small blind 3 bet against button, and let's go through all of the possible flops. It's too much. <laughs> you don't need to yeah. go through all the possible situations. At some point, the returns from the new information are really diminishing, right? So probably the same with the blind spots. It's okay to have some blind spots. It's okay to have... Uh, so probably the better question is how to identify if you have major blind spots, blind spots that either set you back big time or uh, hold you back from achieving more. That that would be a very interesting endeavor. But what I wanted to say about it, I recently was reading the Skin in a Game by uh, Taleb again. Yeah. And uh, I think it was there, the quote from him, that he said the most valuable advice he ever got was... Uh, not to hire an assistant. And I was like, wait, what? Not to hire an assistant? Because we were earlier talking with you about how important it is to just delegate everything that is under your hourly. And at some point I had an assistant, which I was, uh, you know, I offloaded a lot of shit that I needed to do, a lot of administrative stuff. And um, I had an assistant for that. Eventually it didn't work out because it it just didn't work out. And then sometime later, I I read that quote from Taleb and I thought like, why? And his reasoning is that very often when we have the outlet for delegating stuff, we don't question whether stuff needs to be done. right? Because imagine like you have some administrative stuff to take care of Mm -hmm. and you have somebody who's going to do it for you for a very reasonable amount of money. You're never going to question whether that, stuff needs to be done at all and oftentimes just eliminating unnecessary work is gonna increase your productivity and also keep you on the right track which is the enjoyable track where you're doing the things that you actually enjoy
0: doing and the the things that you want to be doing you know if you couldn't you combine them though couldn't you still have everything come through you and then uh make those decisions whether this is worth your assistant doing and, and mm. perhaps, you know, use, use somewhat of a rule where it's like, if I didn't have an assistant, would I do this? If mm. yes, send to the assistant. If no, go away. Yeah. But like, I, I think yeah, it's such a, it, ge- such a general rule. Like, like, I mean, tell fucking Elon Musk not to have an assistant, like yeah, yeah. go, go no. ahead and like, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, like it's no, but-
1: it's, it's, <laughs> it's true. But what I was saying is not that. Okay, well, not, Taleb said uh, don't have an assistant, so let's nobody have an assistant. Yeah, I yeah, was yeah. just saying yeah. it's an interesting parallel there. Just got me thinking about the same thing of you know looking for all the blind spots is probably not a good idea, and delegating yeah. everything to your assistant is not a good idea. So for finding sure. that balance where you're more self aware of. Uh, well, basically, so the bigger question: how to be more self-aware, right? I guess we're getting somewhere. Uh, I get, and we could pay Fedor for an hour of his time to so see his opinion on on the subject. I'm sure he has uh, some insights there.
0: I had a friend. I had a friend who said said something to me the other day, and I, I want to see what you think about this. Uh, he said the people who think they are the most self-aware are generally the most unaware of themselves? What what, what do you think about that? Wow.
1: Mm. I don't know if it works as a general rule, but I can see it definitely manifesting quite often because... I mean, it's hard to imagine somebody who is truly self-aware aware to a very high extent in a modern world. If they're actually, yeah, if they have it, unless they're like a monk meditating on the meaning of life, um, you know, all of their available time, it's more likely that we're just drifting through the day and drifting through our decisions based on who we identify as. Mm -hmm. um so yeah i I could see it work that you know if somebody has the audacity to say oh i'm really self-aware and i'm get i got to this level then maybe they they really just didn't dig deep enough and they were satisfied with the first um the first sight of whatever they decided okay that's me that's who i am because so many of our decisions are basically floating down the river of who we identify as. Oh, I'm a poker player. So what does a poker player do? Well, wake up and fire up the tables and off you go. All right? That's and that makes life easier. I mean, if you every day you had to make a decision, do I brush my teeth today or not? Jesus, man, how do you get through the day, right? Cuz there's so many decisions. But uh, you know, if if you identify as a clean human being, you probably know, okay, well, shower is in order, cleaning my teeth uh, is in order. All of these things which which shouldn't be questioned, right? But unfortunately, because we get into the habit of not questioning a lot of decisions, we just get into the same rut, the same rat race in a way. You know, the the nine to five is a clear example where you just, you know, you're stuck at a job that you're you hate and you've stuck at it for too many years because you just don't even wake up to make a decision of should I change the job? Should I look for something else? It's just well. Um, you know, I'm a secretary. This is what I do. I hate my boss, but um, it's fine. I get my paycheck. I watch Netflix. It's, uh, yeah, that's, that's, cr- that's
0: insanity to me. Like, truly. Uh, not, not that, like, if you hate your boss, why would you dedicate 40 hours of your week to making his life better? Like, that's, that's such a crazy concept to me. I, I guess it's uh, but I mean I, I don't know what's going on in the job market I don't know how uh, yeah. how difficult it is to get a, a good position and stuff these days but I guess if you hate what you're doing then is that a good position probably not like is that a good position for you then mm. probably not how many poker I would much players prefer to you make know? like sorry how go many
1: on. poker players do you know who hate poker
0: like infinite
1: why are they doing this It's the same thing right? yeah
0: it's, it's the money. Yeah, exactly. It's the same exact thing. Um, like they think like, Oh, I don't have a boss, you know, but you know, especially if you're a tournament player, you're a slave to the schedule. 100%. You're, mm-hmm. you're as you have these like five minute breaks every hour. You can't just end a session cause you have 20 K in binds or whatever you have up on the screen. I, uh, I feel like, and also if you're staked, like you have, you have a backer to answer to. And, uh, yeah, I, I think people are, especially in tournaments are much less autonomous and, uh, uh, free than, than they think. And yeah, this is, this is something I've, I've spoken to a couple of friends about, like, it's, there are so many people just going through the motions of like turning up to play live cash. You know, they get this hand in this position on this board texture. They know I'm going to bet small here. Like it's, it, It's so far away from from what you how you should be approaching the game that uh, and people just assume like okay just because the solver says this action is the best it means it's the best like I think people just get very lazy with that stuff and then just start going through the motions and because they're making hundred bucks an hour or something they're like this is good like this is what I should be doing. Um, but if like they tweaked a few things, like they could be making $300 an hour or 400, you know? So, uh, yeah, I think there's, I don't know about the number, but there's a very high percentage of of poker players that are doing that because really it's, it's not fulfilling being a professional poker player, at least in my experience, it, it is to an extent where it's like, you know, you satisfy that, that ego of like the competition and, you know, uh, making more money than your friends in traditional jobs and that kind of stuff like there's, there's that. But at the end of the day, I mean, we're pretty much like exploiting people's gambling problems. Like I, I definitely understand that, that position. Like if someone came up to me and presented the argument that being a professional poker player was unethical, I think I would lose that argument. Um, but you know, I think that's where a lot of a lot of this these feelings come from where there's no real genuine fulfillment from from playing poker. like th- there's this carrot at the top where it's like, you know if I, if I get to these stakes or if I make this amount, then then this will feel good. But I mean, who do you know that's become completely fulfilled through achieving what they wanted to in poker? Good question. Like just playing poker. I think there's a lot of fulfillment in like, you know, uh, say coaching and and helping other people uh, in in that way. But for me, I I find it rare to find someone who's like really happy uh, with with what they've achieved in poker. Mm -hmm. But
1: at the same time, is happiness supposed to come – directly from your profession or is your profession supposed to enable you to have happiness? Cause I definitely know a lot of people who through their poker career while still being active players, found that that it, it enabled them to, to have a fulfilling life, right? Both financially and uh, in many other aspects as well. Right. But, um, I think that's actually healthier when there is a separation between who you are and your identity and who you are professionally. When those two become one, which happens a lot with poker players, because you ask a poker player who you are, it's just like an immediate answer: I'm a poker player, instead yeah. of you know I'm a I'm a brother, I'm a father, I'm a son, uh, whatever. Th- those things are not even on the list most of the time. Like there is that that's gone and just poker player that's what i do 24 7 that's that's who i am and that's somewhat unhealthy but probably also for most people it's a phase that that you go through i mean i've been in that phase you've been in that phase that obsessive phase in the beginning i mean there's no other there's no other way to to go through through the early years in poker i guess but uh yeah but so i'm not even sure if that fulfillment has
0: to come specifically from poker. um, I personally think the first option that you said, like I think fulfillment should come from your profession. Like I I think, I mean, even the word profession feels wrong to me. Like that, to me, it's just like in life, do what you want to do and just like, I don't see it as like, uh, you know, when I log off online and I, you know, get into bed and I'm winding down for the day, I don't think like, okay, I'm done with work for the day. Mm-hmm. I, but I mean, maybe I'm lucky that I've just found what, what I really enjoy doing, uh, but it's po- especially poker's never felt like a job to me. It did feel a little bit like a job when I was like way back when, when I was like in makeup in tournaments and having to grind out. Um, but, I mean, in the past few years, it's it, I've always just wanted to play poker and I've had a rule where if I don't want to play, I don't play. Um. Right, but you see, so...
1: And you're saying you you're lucky that you found something that you like to do. Um, in a way, through this approach, poker enable you to be at this level, to be at 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 the point of your life in your life when you can actually make a decision of I'm just gonna do what I like to do, and that's fulfilling because coming back to the nine to five, the secretary who's was grinding it out you know eighty hours being exploited basically by and, you know, the overtime and, and all that crap, uh, while hating every moment of it, doesn't sometimes even have time to s- slow down and question. Right. And obviously, the financial uh, pressures. I, I, I come just in, think it's cetera, a out. Well, but it's sort of the same thing when the poker players who find it hard to make a decision, like being in the comfort zone of playing poker, sounds insane to. A lot of people who are not poker players, they would say like, what do you mean? Like you're all in for like more than my house costs uh, and, and you're comfortable there. That's your comfort zone. You're, you're crazy. The same thing for somebody in a shit job. It's more comfortable than having to go through the hoops, finding out that nobody wants to hire you. Just putting your CV out there is already a big step for a lot of people. It feels scary because, oh my God, you know, I'm going to have rejection. I don't want to hear rejection. If my boss finds out I'm looking for something, they're going to fire me. I'm in so much shit. There's a lot of fear there. And it's not much different to the poker players sticking in the comfort zone. And uh, a lot of poker players who just stick with poker for a few years too much because they didn't want to face rejection in other areas or didn't want to find out that they actually suck in, in other things.
0: Yeah, but I guess so. Well, I guess you're you're coming from like a place of compassion, where you're like, I feel bad for these people because they're not able to, uh, to to take a step back and, and analyze. But I guess I I'm less compassionate there uh, because I I, th- I think everyone everyone can do that, mm. and I think, and I think it some people's like. I guess, uh, bottom is different from others where mm-hmm. they'll reach a point in that, in that job that they don't enjoy, where it's too much, where, where they literally have to make a change. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's the exact same in poker. Like I, I don't, the money doesn't change it. Like, sure. You're going to live in a nicer apartment. You're going to eat nicer food, but it's still the same thing. Like, so yeah, I, I think I mean, something that I've learned in the past couple of years is listening more to, I guess, my first reaction, my first feelings about something, uh, and then going from there, as opposed to making decisions in in, in other ways. Uh, and ge- generally, that generally they have been pretty accurate. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, listening
1: to your, to your feelings is definitely a good advice because uh, if you feel bad about something, chances are you're going to feel bad about it later as well. I mean, those things don't change as quickly, right? And there's a difference between feeling bad and feeling afraid or anxious. As that, exactly. Let's not get fooled, right? Because it's not like we should only look for things that feel comfortable and, and nice and rosy, but uh, sometimes you need to step out of the comfort zone. But if you just really don't feel good about something, chances are you're just not gonna feel good about it later as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, like an example, like yesterday, I I was feeling a bit overwhelmed and uh, took a walk and I was was just walking down the street like a lunatic, just talking to myself and um, uh, just basically working through what I was feeling and, and figuring it out and going, trying, exploring different areas of my life and different relationships and like checking in with like, okay, how have I, how has my relationship been with this person recently? Okay. It's been good, but this, 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 and this, and that was a really helpful uh, uh, exercise for me to to really get to the root of why I was feeling this yucky feeling, I guess. So, and if I, if I had meet me a few years ago, if someone had said that to me, I, I would think like, they're a fucking idiot. Like just listen to, Think about things think about things logically emotions are a distraction i guess that was my thesis back then but i i think that that's a foolish foolish way to think yeah. um yeah i mean
1: i guess pretty much applies to everyone if you look back at yourself two years ago you've probably changed a lot And if you didn't, maybe there's a problem, yeah, (laughs) because it's it's unlikely anybody reached perfection uh, early on, unless you're like 98 years old, uh, guy (laughs) smiling every day, who's just like, I've had the most fulfilling life. Well, then uh, kudos to you and well done, sir. But uh, otherwise, yeah. And coming back to what you said about you know the the insanity of a secretary, and I don't know why I picked on a secretary, like an imaginary secretary who <laughs> works eighty hours a day, and or not a day, sorry, that, that's that's a bit a bit much, but eighty eighty hours a week and hates her boss. But coming back to that example, I agree with you that anybody can do better, and anybody can make a decision of like, okay, I'm gonna overcome these challenges, these obstacles, I'm gonna overcome this fear, and uh, um, I'm going to go for it. But sometimes what you needed is a guy like eliotro who's going to, you know, yeah. open your eyes up to like, this is not okay. You know, it's not okay to feel anxious in this situation. I mean, it's okay to feel anxious, but it's not the only way you can do. You can have, you have a choice. You can do things differently. So that eye-opening experience, a lot of people don't have it. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't have a lot of success and they surround themselves With other people who are also in the same shithole. And uh, then it's not only that people don't want to push you to like, come on, you can do it because everybody's in the same. They want to bring
0: you down. And they They, they want to keep you at their level.
1: Yeah, because if somebody breaks out, puts pressure on you to break out and you don't want to do it. You'd rather sit on the couch, drink some beer don't get me and wrong poker, i sit on the couch too. drink a beer all the time as well but you know at least at least i have a nice couch and i actually enjoy my beer and that's a conscious choice but um
0: yeah i mean you see that in poker quite a lot as well uh that bringing people trying to bring down others and, and talk about their game and, and i'm guilty of it i think i think nearly everyone is guilty of that mm-hmm. of uh going to the to the critical uh viewpoint of of other people's games and stuff because yeah. if if you see like if you're playing a tournament and you're playing against Adamo and he's just like he plays a hand a bit funny and you don't understand why he did it you can say like oh look he fucked this up this means mm-hmm. that, you know I'm not I'm not that far off from being as good as him but you know or you can see like okay why did he do this? This is weird. Like, uh, try and figure out why he did this thing. Um, and like, it's easy. It's much easier to do the first one, uh, and just say, Oh, what a blow up or something." But yeah, in the long run, it's it's probably not gonna not gonna help you.
1: Yeah, and the first. And one- I think
0: I think we will start seeing, I guess, more and more valuable content when it comes to mindset and. Just philosophy and and psychology and, and all of those things mm-hmm. uh, through through YouTube and and all that. I think there's been a, a huge demand. I mean, look at guys like Jordan Peterson, uh, oh, Naval. Yeah. These kind of people who, uh, I mean, they're giving a ton of value to millions and millions of people. And uh, yeah, I mean, you can take a you can take a cynical approach to looking at that as well, but I mean yeah you can you can be cynical about everything and poke calls and everything, but if if they're bringing value to millions of people through through YouTube videos, I mean they're doing something right. like
1: yeah and and it's funny, yeah, you can take a cynical cynical approach. and how many people basically hate Naval for like, oh, you're saying you're so happy. Like, it's so annoying. You're always happy. Like, shut up about it. Like, I mean, how, come can, you hate, like, how you can you hate the dude? It's <laughs> wild. <laughs> the dude's saying, like, I'm so happy and I want to share with you. Like, he doesn't need to do it. He has better yeah. things to do. He could probably also enjoy a beer on the couch, right? Instead, he goes through the hoops of, you know, recording material and sharing it with people. And then, yeah. And then he'll be like, I'm fucking
0: happy all the time. So annoying, (laughs) but you even see, I mean, I even saw uh, a while back I Caxton taking a dig at, at Naval on Twitter for, I don't know what he said, but basically he was just like, you know, the, the goal of like this billionaire, you know, giving this advice to to these people. And it's like, yeah, you can, you can take that attitude or you can, or you can look at what that advice is and, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's very evident that he is a massive net positive for millions of people. Yeah. So w- w- why go further than that? You know, mm-hmm. why why try and focus on the 2% of, like, negative things that you can try and figure out about the way he approaches things or, uh, or, or the way he speaks and that kind of thing? I, I think it's just a... Fr- I used to be very, very cynical. So when I see, when I see that attitude, it, it, it reminds me of, of how I used to think. And it's, it's just not, uh, not helpful.
1: Yeah. And it's sort of the same human condition, I guess the same thing of, you know, sometimes taking the cynical view on fellow poker players and, uh, hating them for succeeding sometimes, you know, I think it's especially yeah. true for tournament players, less so for cash game players, but I've seen a lot of tournament players get bummed out when they see somebody win the tournament and the sort of feeling it could have been me, it should have been me.
0: Yeah, right? but it, it, yeah, but those yeah. people, it's not going to be you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> In general, those are the guys that are generally not going to win the tournaments. And like, yeah. I mean, I've been as guilty as the next person of, uh, of, you know, shit talking, players and being like, Oh, like, fuck this guy's so lucky. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it just comes from a, uh, I guess you're in this hyper competitive environment and you need to be validated, especially when you're younger, You, you need to be, need to find things that validate that you're good at poker, that you're winning in these games, you know, and in cash games, like everyone knows like that's, there's nowhere to hide in cash games, you know, that you can maybe hide for 20,000 hands or something, but like you sit down and you play 200,000 hands, we're going to know who's best, like Mm -hmm. who's better. You know, there's, whereas in tournaments you can go 10 years and uh, I mean, yeah, we just don't know who's, who's really at the top and, and yeah, it's, it's a lot more difficult to determine, but that's why tournaments are great as well. You know, mm-hmm. so I think if you just shift your attitude to like, okay, this guy is winning this tournament. This means that he's going to have this money to give back to the high rollers now. This is great,
1: you know. Yeah. Well, but coming back to Naval, <laughs> I, I I sort of can't get that image out of my my head of you know people hating on him and. What you said is so, so true that whatever the guy is doing, whether you agree with it or not, it's not positive. It might not be for a specific guy because like obviously his audience is not 100% of all people. And the yeah. unfortunate thing with internet nowadays, it's so easy to stumble upon things like how somebody might listen to our conversation and like three minutes in say like, oh, these guys are full of shit. I don't want to hear from this. You yeah, know, this <laughs> is bullshit. Well, good news. You found out it's not for you. All right. Also, yeah. if you listen to this far, we're like a bit over an hour in our conversation. If you got this far, and now you think like, "Oh, this is bullshit," and why the hell did you waste an hour? Right? Because you get these people yeah. as well. Like they would listen for for an hour or something and just say, "Well, in an hour and twenty minutes, you said this such a thing, <laughs> and I completely disagree, and I think it's bullshit." Cool. If you want, let's have a discussion about it, and you know, but or something, but. Also, maybe not all of the material is for you. There's somebody yeah. out there who's gonna take away a nugget. And with Naval, I think it's so true. Like, especially for me, I re- re-listened to some of his um, material, like probably five times, and every time I hear something new, of like, oh wow, I I've listened to this five times and I didn't hear this thing before, just because it didn't even. I didn't catch it on my radar, so to speak, because it wasn't the right time. It wasn't. So, his material is so powerful and it doesn't have to be 100% accurate. I mean, why do we set these constraints on people? If somebody is professing something, if they're sharing their thoughts, everything has to be 100% accurate. Otherwise, we want to cancel them because they said something stupid,
0: especially in like long form long form podcasts and stuff as well. Like that's, that's the beauty of it. You get to see people formulate thoughts on the go. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, And holding people to these, I mean, it's going to, it's going to revert eventually. Like there's the, it's, it's not with all of this nonsense about like canceling this person and this person, like it's, it's not sustainable because eventually it gets to a point where they're coming for people that you love. And like, I mean, it's my, my view on that. I I was, I was pretty uh, not involved, but I was a keen spectator of how this would play out, play out over the past couple of years. Um, And. I think, I think we will, I think common sense will eventually prevail and we will, Get back to a place where people are comfortable saying what they believe. Um, I, I don't see it progressing too much further in the direction of, you know, catering to the mob and and that kind of thing. I think I think for corporations, yes, that will be true, but for individuals, uh, I think it will be. Uh, They'll care less and less and less what what these kind of outrage mobs care about because they the further it goes the the more people they start to ostracize so yeah. like they go more and more mainstream and and the infractions become less and less severe that you know they suddenly just come for for everyone so
1: yeah, I, I don't know how quickly we're going to get out of this cycle. And it's going to be back and forth. I think we're going to drop back a bit too lenient on things people are saying. Because people have to be accountable for some of the shit they're saying, especially the racism stuff. Like uh, today, I saw something from Ian Wright. Uh, he's a ex-football player and now a presenter in British TV. Um, he's a legend. And he shared some of the racist abuse that he's getting on a daily basis on Twitter. And it's fucking horrible. But the You point mean from is, just like
0: random random accounts and shit? Yeah, random accounts
1: or uh, even not random accounts, like real people who are trackable, et cetera, et cetera. But the thing is there is no enforcement. They there is no penalty for them. There's nothing. They're like they they don't even get a slap on the wrist. And it's okay. horrible because some of the things you know, the thing that he shared, and I if anybody's interested, just look it up. It's fucking horrible, right? Even if you don't feel strongly against racism or or any other thing, I am if you're a human being, you sh- you'll probably be like, Oh my god, this is fucking insane. Like, how can you and for a guy to deal with this on a daily basis, like some fucking asshole somewhere wakes up and thinks like, Oh, I know what I'm gonna do today. I'm just gonna send
0: the <laughs> yeah. fucking crappy message to you and That's gonna make me feel better. It's so and wild. It's so wild to picture that person and yeah. like picture their daily routine. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's I'm not on any any social media, and that's one of the reasons. It's just like you just uh you just deal with deranged fucking people. Like they're <laughs> they're genuinely deranged. And uh I think I think. Twitter is probably the worst for that because you can just comment and then all the comments are there and there's the, the way that they filter them, you just get like, I don't know, say, say Elon post something and then you get uh, another like very smart person post here. And then it's just like some absolute rot right after that with like two likes. I don't know how it gets to the top. So, yeah. I mean, it, the, that part of it is definitely broken. And I mean, the tech's going to fix that. Like it's, it's a, it's not unfeasible to like fix that problem, Mm -hmm. but in terms of like, you know, censoring what people can and can't say that's, that's a kind of a different story. It's like, how far do you want to move the goalposts? Like, I think everyone except maybe, I don't know, 0.1% of people agree that you shouldn't say the N word. Right. But when you start, when, when everyone agrees that that's not okay, then you start moving towards stuff that say 20, 80% of people think that it's okay. So like, where's the threshold where it's like, where it's cut off and uh, yeah, I I mean like, like they are a private company so they can uh, offer their services to anyone and and cut it off from anyone. I, I, I get that. But at the same time it's just there's such a monopoly these days that it's it's not so clear um it's not so clear where the where the law stands on that mm. that's such a tough
1: thing to figure out as well because like from one perspective i feel like language should be exempt from censorship like you can say any fucking word you want but you have to be accountable for the context. Yeah, that's right. That's and the, I feel like the there's a language police now just going absolutely apeshit, especially in the United States, where you know you say like hell. I mean, and this probably doesn't make a daytime TV in any format, right? Our conversation, generally reasonable conversation, I probably use the cuss word like three, four times, whatever, maybe more. Somebody's gonna count it in the states, I'm sure, right? But It's ridiculous, right? At the same time, you know, you can dress up a completely toxic piece of crap thought in nice words and nice language. Yeah. And that's exempt from it. That's clearly wrong because let's focus on what people are actually saying instead of, you know, which word they're using. And just because your religious group doesn't, you know, feel like this word that exists in your language should be used under any circumstances and you have a problem with your head. And I'm not referring to the N-word because it's really hard to find the context it's for exactly a white guy that it words. works. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like it's pretty hard to pull off and I don't think anybody should try because like, it's just, if you understand uh, what it stands for, I mean, good luck trying, trying to find the context. Yeah. But even that i mean there are scenarios where yeah i mean that's the word that fits to describe the situation or some story and to be penalized for using the word is ridiculous
0: What's well well i mean it, it gets it gets insane when uh i forget which company the guy that i don't know if he's a ceo but he was very high up um in the company a huge company uh was fired for saying the word but describing the word so he he was he said something like uh, i 'm not going to say it <laughs> and he he said something uh, like uh, we need to get people to stop saying the n word, but he said the word right. in like a meeting, um, so he was uh, he wasn 't even using it in in any kind of context, so and then he 's fired that's that 's insanity, obviously, but like any rational person knows that oh, that 's insane, man. but it still happened um, yeah,
1: I mean. Oh, the world we live in. its going to be interesting. I mean, obviously, it's a new thing. The technology run way ahead of our development as a social species. We're not used to... I mean, this perpetual record, it's a scary thing. Like, imagine... Yeah. It was not long ago. I could... When I was a kid, I could say a lot of crap that there's no record of and no recollection. And if somebody says, like, said something crazy, uh go fucking prove it. You have... Yeah. And that's that's a comfortable world to live in. Whereas now even kids in like primary school they like everything's on record you know so yeah, one day you're for running them. for president and somebody's going to pull out like hey you know when you were 12 years old these were your views on racism and i'm sure they have never changed and you're just a fucking pig and uh, you know you can't be the president <laughs> oh man
0: it's ridiculous but i mean it's t- well, so culturally i come from australia and i can't think of anywhere in the world that's more I guess like vulgar or colloquial with language like the, the word. Yeah. Can I say, yeah, I can say it. The, <laughs> yes, word cunt, yes, yes. the word cunt in Australia is, has a completely different context. Like, so you can say like the, one of the best compliments you can give someone is you're a sick cunt. That means like, you're like a, you're an absolute mad dog. Like you're the champ, you're the man, you're a sick cunt. <laughs> Right? Maybe
1: for but, people listening if you're traveling to Australia don't try it in the border <laughs> control like No you could No, if you if you say that
0: in the border <laughs> control the guy will laugh I guarantee it. So but then then conversely yeah. the one of the worst things you can say is you're a dog cunt. Okay. And then so you're just changing changing the the prefix and mm-hmm. it's gone from one of the best things you can call someone to one of the worst things you can call someone. And then if you use the the word in any context in the United States it's like you know the worst thing ever, yeah. but so yeah, two I mean, very it's just... different
1: border control experiences. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe don't don't use those words at the U.S. border, <laughs> or do. I mean, it, it might
1: be you know a, a story to tell to your grandchildren. <laughs> or like, ah, uh, you know, one day I went, and there was a bit of a misunderstanding. And I, I thought it was about America. I was supposed to say that it was the other <laughs> way around. Never mind. Now we're Australian. Yeah, crazy, Rory. You know what I realized? Um, we started the conversation with the, the little sneak peek of like, "Oh, we're gonna talk about this crazy side bet that you had." Oh yeah, And we're almost <laughs> run out of time. And uh, I can I, I, I can do some more time. Okay, awesome. So yeah, let's let's talk a bit about the side bet, the the bet that. I uh, previewed in the introduction <laughs> yeah. and I said like most people probably heard about it in the poker world obviously um, so tell me tell me first of all what happened and maybe for those who don't know what that is uh, what what bet we're talking about describe the bet so that we don't have any confusion about what we're talking about
0: yeah so uh, if you you can Google like I guess uh, darkness bathroom poker bet or something mm-hmm. there was a few articles like uh, about it but the way it came about was i had just arrived in vegas uh, because i had a uh, met a girl and then i'd come to stay with her and we're still together to this day but um the that was the reason for me to come to vegas and i went into bellagio one day to see what the games were like and there was like a 10, 20 game running. So I, I started kind of playing these games. Um, and then one day I come in and there's a, there's a full game running and then there's this one guy sitting to like the side table and he's got, he's sitting there with like 40 K in chips. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, I, I see this and it was strange. It was strange to, to see someone sitting with that many chips in front of them in, in these games, uh, at this time. So I sit down and, uh, we started playing heads up, um, going back and forth. Uh, and then we both start, we, we both move over to, to the main game when our seats become available. And, uh, I was playing and thinks with somebody, uh, and for people who don't know how and thinks works, uh, it's basically two players ask a question to a third party at the table and then they keep the answer in their mind. So, for example, they ask how many swimming pools do you think are in Iraq? And then they won't tell the answer, but they'll write it down somewhere or have it in their head and then the two players who are playing will bet on what they think that answer is. Um, So one of the questions that I, I normally like to answer, I normally like to ask in this situation is how long do you think that you could stay in a totally pitch black bathroom, um, you know, food and water's there. Uh, how long do you think you could stay in there? Like say you're incentivized by like, you know, you get a million bucks a day or something, mm-hmm. um, and I, I, generally think that people way overestimate how long they think that they could stay in there. Uh, so this kid that I was playing heads up with, he chirps up and he's like, Oh, 30 days easy. I'm like, Oh really? Yeah. Like you think, uh, you think it would be easy? He's like, yeah, absolutely. No problem. I'm like, Oh, okay. Would you ever like, uh, would you ever want to bet something like that? Would you ever like actually want to try that out? And, uh, he was so confident from the start that, that he could be able to do it, uh, that we start going back and forth a little bit. And he's like, Oh, like that would never happen kind of thing. And I'm like, I could make it happen. Like we could, we could definitely get something done. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, I mean, within, I want to say 45 minutes, we had the bet booked where it was my hundred thousand to his hundred thousand that he couldn't stay in a pitch black bathroom for 30 days straight, given that he got food, water, all of that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, The initial terms were we had up to two weeks to back out, but you would have to pay a 5K penalty to back out. Mm -hmm. So everyone in Vegas was like started hearing about this bet Uh, and everyone was like, oh, this is not going to happen. Rich is just going to pay the 5k. There were side bets on like, everyone wanted to bet that Rich was going to back out and pay the 5k or Mm. people thought he was going to back out and not pay me the 5k. So (laughs) I I, I took some action on that as well. Cause I, I I thought this kid was going to do it. Like was, was going to jump in there. Um, and then we started, then when it became clear that it was going to go ahead, uh, I met, uh, really talented dude called Ryan. Um, he, he did, uh, some of the camera work for Sorel Mizzy and Brian Rass boxing match. Mm-hmm. Um, super talented dude. He, uh, he set it all up. So we, we, we found an Airbnb. Um, and the one that I rented, it looked like the master bathroom, uh, had a door. When we got there, I realized that it was similar to the archway behind you right now. Mm-hmm. So it was just an open thing. So Ryan had to uh tape this up with like big, thick polystyrene things. He he made a little door in the polystyrene. And this is like very high ceiling. So it was it was a huge operation and he had to black out the entire room, soundproof it, everything. So I think it took him like three full days of working in this bathroom to get everything set up. Um we did like the the food shopping. There was a bunch of negotiations with the, uh, the legal document. Basically, uh, the main sticking point for me was that if anything happened to him, I wanted to be completely absolved legally. Mm-hmm. Like heaven forbid he slipped and fell, smashed his head and he's dead. I want to be completely uh, uh, untouchable legally. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a huge sticking point for me. He initially was... Unsure about that, but eventually we had agreed on that. And then, yeah, I mean, he he went in. We we turned the lights off, and we had infrared cameras. I think we had five cameras monitoring him twenty four seven. I had a little app on my phone so I could check every time. So I was out like grinding at the Bellagio, uh, watching him on the cameras. Sometimes I had like an intercom where I could talk with him. And then for the food, we randomised uh, the number of days between I think three and six to drop off certain amounts of food. Uh, the reason for randomizing it was, uh, we didn't want to give him any sense of how long it had been in between food drops. So I I didn't want him to know that it was a fourth day or the sixth day, uh, or the 23rd day. Uh, so that, that was the logic behind that. And then, First few days, I was like, this is hilarious. I'm going to win 100K here, no problem. The eighth or the ninth day, I was like, okay, I have a chance of losing here. And I, I kind of started kicking myself because I could have laid this action off at like three to one or something. So I could have, I could have. for people who don't know what that means, I could have bet with others like thirty three, my 33,000 uh, to their 100,000 that he would do it. So, so I could completely free roll like two thirds of the bet, like 67 K or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, I ended up hedging like a small amount off. I think it was 20,000 or something like that. Uh, but I, I, I let the rest of it ride and then it got to like 14 days in and I was like, okay, now I'm very worried because at this point he was functioning completely fine. Like he was stretching, he was doing yoga he was just eating pop tarts. He seemed like he was having the time of his life. Um, and then I think it was day 21 that I was like, okay, shit, I need to buy out. Um, and over the next couple of days, we negotiated a buyout of, I want to say 63,000, something like that. Um, well, initially, initially I, I said to him over the loudspeaker, rich, rich, I have an offer for you. I'll let you buy out for Mm 25,000. And he goes, he goes, kid, are you fucking joking me? (laughs) You would let me buy out for that much. Um, so that didn't go over too well. And I, uh, I left him in silence when, when he said that and just left him in silence for another day and then came back and said, okay, like what, what is a number that you would accept for a buyout? Um, and initially he wanted like 80,000 or something, but, uh, managed to negotiate it down to, yeah, around 60,000, um, which, uh, I mean, honestly, he, he deserves every dollar of that. It was, uh, it was a pretty grueling, grueling, uh, three weeks for him. Um, do I have any regrets? Yeah, I think I would have made it a lot more difficult for him in hindsight. I gave him like, you know, luxury bath soaps and and this kind of stuff. Uh, I gave him like really nice food. The bathroom was quite large. Um, So, yeah, in hindsight, I would have made the conditions a little bit more strict, but I don't think it would have made much of a difference. He he crushed it so easily that he was just going to win. I think, yeah, well, one thing I did overlook was, uh, when you meet this guy, you, you would never think that he is, that he has ever meditated in his life, ever worked on, on that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and on the contrary, he was very advanced with, with that kind of stuff. So, so that's, that was an assumption that I had, that had given me a lot of confidence. So if I had known that, I think I still would have taken the bet, but would have been more more cautious. Sounds crazy, though, for
1: 30 days. Okay, he didn't complete the 30 days, but... He was going just, to 100% yeah, of the time there. But yes. the thing that it's easy, not only complete it, but just breeze through it, uh, seems crazy. Did you talk well, about him after the fact about what his experience was like and um, how did he deal with this? I mean, 21 days in the dark uh pretty crazy
0: yeah i mean anyone that knows rich is like you'll know that it's 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 difficult to get like a a a i guess like a really frank answer out of him so so i'm not sure i'm not sure what he told me was legit or not but he basically said that it was just the easiest thing he's ever done kind of thing he never even thought about coming out. There were times he was hallucinating a bit, but he was still pretty comfortable. Um, he missed his family. He he was always wondering what was going on at Bellagio and stuff. Because um, like Vegas poker is like pretty, pretty close knit community. Yeah. Close n- knit as in like everyone's in close proximity, not everyone's friends, you know, but like, so he, he loves the drama, all of that kind of stuff. Um, so he was missing that, but Yeah, he didn't give me too much insight into into what it was like in there. Uh, He basically just said, yeah, I just kind of relaxed and chilled out for for a few weeks. And Mm. I I guess another major uh, mistake that I made was I was basing a lot of my research, but this was after we made the bet anyway, so I was basing a lot of my research on the effects of uh, isolation and sensory deprivation but though, most of those studies were done on uh, prisoners. So your your mindset going into something like this, mm. to win a hundred k when you do this, is completely different when you're facing like life in prison and you're in the shoe for, because you stab someone. You know, it, it's just night and day. Like it, yeah. it, you can't even draw too many parallels, I imagine, yeah. um, between the two. And mm. and some of the other studies I looked at, they were in a much smaller area as well. Whereas he had a lot of room in there. It was the size of like a New York City apartment bedroom, you know?
1: Mm. Wow. Human capabilities. And it's funny that we were talking about previously about why people stick with the careers they hate and all such thing. And uh, look what people are capable of, especially if the incentives are aligned. Right. If, if yeah. the, as you said, the studies on prisoners doesn't seem to be very good for the prisoners in terms of sensory deprivation and stuff. But if you're actually getting something for it, which you perceive to be fair, because he's not getting a ton of money for it. Because what is so it's one month, 100K, that's like 100. Uh, what is it per hour? Um, yeah, that so- is not great.
0: Yeah, it's like a bit over a hundred. It's not like insane hourly, right? So it's. I mean, uh, during during those three weeks, I, I went on a run at Bobagio, and, and made more than he made in the bet. So mm. that was something that that really felt good. But to to him, I think uh, I think the hundred k was was like significant. It was mm. a significant uh, enough of a number to really, you know to make sure that he couldn't lose. And I think that was another thing I overlooked. Right. Um, you, you don't want the number to be so big that it's like, you know, going to have a big impact. Mm. Um, after, after he completed it and a few a few days afterwards, I got a, I got a phone call from a random number at like 10 PM at nine and I'm lying in bed and, uh, I answer the phone and he goes, this, this guy I've never spoken to him. I know who he is, but I've never spoken to him in my life. He goes, Hey, is this Rory? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, it's Huck. And I'm like, okay, I know that's Huck seed, but how does he know that I'm going to know that he's Huck seed? I guess. I mean, like that's, <laughs> that's, that's just who he Huck. is. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. Huck. Yeah. It's Huck. Uh, so I want to do this challenge that, that you did with bridge, but I'll do it in a concrete bathroom with no food, only water, and you can even put cockroaches in there, but I want to do it for a million. And that's, he said this all in one sentence when at this point in the phone call, I just said, hello, <laughs> like, <laughs> like the, straight to the point, no, like. <laughs> so, oh, man. so I was like, uh, I mean, I, I looked into it to see if we could make it happen. Maybe, maybe make a TV show or something out of it. But uh, yeah, we, we, we couldn't get it done. Mm. but maybe maybe something in the future
1: it's crazy think, that he would go for something like that and also like you can even put the cockroaches in that kind of defeats the purpose that's food technically <laughs> day 21
0: that's food <laughs> it is but it's like oh man i mean it's pretty crazy imagine they're crawling What's all socket. over you how, how can you sleep i mean well let's
1: not forget i mean people went through years uh in the conflicts like in the Pacific, people lived through shit um, in the jungles with, with all the stench and whatnot. Have you, have what you been to
0: to Vietnam before?
1: No, I've never been there. It's one if of you my go, make go-to sure,
0: destinations. Make sure you go to like the entry to the tunnels. Like these, mm. these people lived underground in these mm. like underground. Not cities, but I guess like underground towns for years. It's it's insane. And just the entryway is so small that you feel so I, I couldn't even go through. And it's just a small tunnel like yeah. underneath. Insane. Yeah. I guess everything is a
1: matter of perception. Cause I'm sure, you know, there are some people in the world who would say, like, wait, what? A concrete bathroom, like actual thing with the roof? Of course I'm in. Like, please. Yes. 30 no days. That's no 30,000. Yeah. Yeah. Like oh no you know no food sure i I don't have any food anyway <laughs> like just give me what clean water you mean clean water on the roof sign me up no money oh you gonna no. pay me I thought it's the other way it's it's crazy I'm sure it's it's like this and for us it's like, oh my God, how could you but that being said, do you feel you would ever want a money aside because I mean there's no point to discuss what would be the number, etc. But for you to sacrifice, because I see it as a sacrifice of a month of my life um, for the purpose of gaining money. I don't think I'd be enlightened after experience of 30 days or 40 days. I wouldn't come out the other way of like, oh, I found
0: the meaning of life. It's unlikely. Yeah, I, I don't think it would be that extreme. I think uh, I would learn a lot about myself uh, with, with zero distractions. I mean, I'm pretty ADD, like well, I mean, I have ADD, like, but I, I always need to be doing something. Uh, so I think I would learn a lot, a lot about myself. I think I would come out of it much, a much better person. Mm-hmm. but I mean, I'm not going to fucking do it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I I mean, like you can probably do that in a much more comfortable environment and stuff. Like there's no amount yeah. like, sh- okay. Yeah. There is an amount like a billion dollars. Yes. I would obviously do it. Um, but you know, it, it would have to be a free roll as well. So I would never like, you know, risk any money to do it right. or like insane odds, like very, very small downside and, but but I, yeah, I mean, at this point in my life, uh, I'm not sure. Even at, even at the time, I was trying to think of a number that I would want to do it for, and it, it seemed, especially when I was standing in the room and then turning the lights off, it's a long time. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, and you're right. Of course you would learn something along the way, but I'd rather go and learn something in three days of silence, repeat, or something like that. I, I I'd skip the other couple of weeks or you know more.
0: Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Well, I think you might get to a point where okay, you you get those initial benefits. Maybe it's five days, maybe it's seven days, mm-hmm. and then you hit this like I guess emptiness. Um, if it was truly pitch black, um, I think it would be. Uh, very interesting, um, but when your eyes adjust and you can start seeing, okay, here are the here's the edge of the bath, here's the shower, here's mm-hmm. the fridge, and everything. Like, I, I think it probably wears off a lot of the benefits. Yeah, I mean,
1: I, I don't know, I I can't even imagine myself going through that experience. Funny enough, that Fedor, who we mentioned many times, he was uh, a big advocate of of making a retreat and. Um, for him it was an experience that definitely taught him a lot about himself of just taking a retreat and going somewhere not to an extreme of sensory deprivation and and such but like really being cut off and remote from from all the luxuries of what
0: we're so used to yeah yeah i think personally, personally that doesn't that doesn't appeal to me um i like the like a soft bed a you know hot water all of that stuff is for me I- imperative um hot water I, really <laughs> yeah yeah you know you get these animals who fucking you know jump in the cold shower before their session and stuff like oh, and i've okay, i've done it at water, times I, and then then it's like not, you know, never use any, any hot showers and it's like, okay, you know, th- that's, that's good for you, but that's not for me. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 like my hot showers. Uh, I mean, something, something that I do a lot is a uh, sauna. So mm-hmm. I, I kind of have, have my own sauna here at home. I, I try and do it most days at the moment, I'm trying to do it, trying to commit to every single day. That's, that's something that is really good for mental strength, pushing through, and uh, pushing through those uh, moments of feeling uncomfortable, like it's, it's getting too hot, it's getting too hot, I'm not going to survive. And then <laughs> getting over that hill and being like, okay, I'm still alive, I'm still alive. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, that's been, that's been very helpful for mental, but obviously there's a lot of physical benefits to to sauna as well. Yeah. I like how you jumped from it's getting hot to I'm not going to survive. <laughs> that there seemed like I mean, first. that's how you feel.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love sauna. Yeah. I, I just never experienced
0: that, that I'm not going to survive part coming in so soon. You got to push it. You, you got to push it until, I mean, I think, I don't think I've properly passed out, but uh, mm. the, the friends that I do it with pass out in, in the sauna. Oh, and yeah. it's, i don't know
1: it's it's tricky i don't like i don't like to push myself too hard in that sense like i'm a big advocate of obviously not where i live now in malt it's fucking hot as is. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a living sauna as is but uh in general like i love the experience of um ice plunge after a sauna so like a proper session of you know you you stay there for an hour and a half and, like split yeah. it in five little sessions and the whole experience of going under ice well obviously head above the ice otherwise you know the the vessels contract and lights are out and then uh, off you go i'm not going to survive kicks in before you can think it but um yeah that's a beautiful experience and Definitely healthy. Well, I mean, I say definitely healthy. I'm not a doctor. I don't know.
0: I think definitely. No, no, no. For sure. Passing I, look, out, probably it, uh, not so healthy. I, I don't think there's any there's much downside to no. to passing out, going unconscious, like getting choked out, passing out from heat exhaustion. I don't think there's much like long term. Yeah, well, uh, I don't know. Downsides it doesn't, doesn't sound obviously it could be good. like death if you're there by yourself, but like you know you yeah, have friends definitely. around you. But if anyone's interested uh, in in saunas going a bit deeper there i would recommend just googling dr ronda patrick on saunas Mm -hmm. and yeah i mean i can't think of many other things to implement into your daily routine that are going to be better for your health um longevity wise yeah i sort of was thinking about getting a
1: sauna in my house here in malta but uh Every time I mention the idea to to anyone, including my wife, they are like, You're fucking crazy, you live here. Like, how, how often do you need a sauna? It's hot as is. I'm like, Yeah, you don't you don't it's understand. Different. There's more yeah. to it. It's not just, you know, it's one thing to be like a, a heat that you and Vegas is hot, but really dry. Oh, yeah. So dry. So you know, every time I come back from the series, um the temperature difference is like ten degrees Celsius. In in, in Vegas, it might be forty-four. Going back to Malta, it's like thirty-four. Malta is way hotter because the humidity levels are like in the eighty percent or something. And Vegas, it's ten percent. So the, the thing yes, that everybody gets is the nosebleeds in Vegas, and then static electricity everywhere. It's just like can't open a door. It's it's crazy. We had a thing with with a friend of mine, you know, living in the same house. Every time we we're in Vegas, and then on the way to casino, it's like a game, who's going to open the door? <laughs>
0: so why is that? I, I never I never lack knew air, that that was... Lack of humidity why?
1: in the air. The air is too dry. and um, So, so I the guess electric it's currents some,
0: stay in the conductor and
1: don't transfer through the air as much? Well, I don't know exactly what's the physics behind it. I just know that if the air is really dry, um, there's going to be more static electricity. Yeah. Okay. As far as my knowledge goes, <laughs> and I, I have empirical ev- evidence of, of that happening all the time. <laughs> and I guess it also is ex- extreme when you first get there, right? Because obviously the nosebleeds also
0: don't last forever. And I know I they do. They, they've lasted forever for me. Really? Like just very dry, oh. uh, dry nose, always wake up, just very congested yeah okay
1: interesting but that probably is still individual because i don't even get the nosebleeds. i have really dry nose but like a bunch of my friends who get there from europe all all had the nosebleeds uh, at least for the initial period and then it stops anyway how the hell did we get from from <laughs> whatever we were talking about to, the, to this and you know what rory i i really feel like we could go on forever there's so much to talk about uh with you uh, still so many topics we didn't discuss, uh, related to business. Um, but I feel like we can leave it for part two and maybe do another one sometime because I want to be good. respectful of your time. I know you had something else planned and and we had a two hour plus conversation about all sorts of things <laughs> without any agenda. I enjoyed every minute of it. And uh, I want to thank you for this,
0: man. Likewise, man. Always enjoy talking to you.
1: Yeah. It's such a pleasure. And, um, the final thing I want to say to, to people listening is um, check out the description. I'm going to put in the links to Rory's project, which I've seen. I like it. It's great. And uh, I wish him best of luck and definitely go at least check it out. Um, I don't know if by the time we release this audio, um, the project's already live, but we're going to add the description and the links when they're ready. Uh, so keep an eye on, out on that. And um So yeah, Rory, thanks a lot, man. Awesome. Thanks a lot, man. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Check out the description. And of course, I'd highly appreciate if you subscribe, click like, spread the word about the podcast. Also, if you'd like to receive a regular newsletter with my key takeaways about each episode, go ahead and subscribe to it on runcheckspodcast.com. That's R-U-N-C-H-U-K-S podcast.com. I write those myself. I take it seriously and I really enjoy the interaction with the readers. So I hope you'll sign up and I'll be back for you next time. Thank you.